We heard a particularly harrowing story about how the Aboriginal people were treated about many years ago. And when we heard this story, we thought we were, we were indignant that people would just chop up, decapitate children and, and chop up people, just as a sport almost. And we were even more furious when we heard that people actually defended the actions of these people. And in the end, when some of these people were brought to justice, there was a sense of, of things being set right, justice being met, that the world is actually not such a bad place after all. It was a very harrowing story about injustice and how sometimes it can just be left unpunished, but in this case it was. Now tonight's passage is a particularly harrowing passage as well. I'm sure you felt that when we just read the passage. But in it you'll find justice come out, and in it you will find mercy as well. So where are we? Well, we're in the book of Revelation, of course, and this is Stu's very helpful map. And tonight we're at chapter 14, which is roughly halfway through the book of Revelation. And lastly, what happened was we saw the, the unholy trinity, if you like. We saw the dragon and the beast from the sea and the beast from the earth, and they're wreaking havoc on the earth and to the church. But tonight, the camera's going to come off the bad guy, so to speak, and it's going to pan onto the good guys. Tonight, we're going to see that the camera is now focusing on the lamb and his church. We're going to see three angels make a declaration, and we're going to see two harvests, or actually one harvest from two points of view. So let's have a look at tonight's passage. First of all, the lamb and his church. You'll find this in verses 1 through to 5. And so I need you to have one eye on your Bibles and one eye on me, if that's possible at all, as we look at the lamb and his church. What we'll see, the very first thing is there's a lamb, and of course that's Jesus, and he's on Mount Zion. This is um, the, the, the good guy's headquarters. And he's there, and surrounding him are the 144,000. Now, we thought, we've heard that number before, 144,000. Where? Well, Revelation chapter 7, a few weeks ago. And in that picture, what we saw was there was 144,000 people, 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel. They were the Jewish people who actually believed in Jesus. And then we also saw in chapter 7 a great multitude of people, for you couldn't count, who were also worshipping God the Father and Jesus. And these were the Gentile people, I guess most of us in this room, non-Jewish people. And they too were worshipping and the 144,000 in this chapter is, yes, it is those Jewish people from chapter 7. And you sort of think, well, wait a minute, does that mean that somehow the non-Jewish people are left out? Well, no, because if you look at verse 5, it actually says they are zooming in on 144,000, but actually they are the first fruits of the, the harvest to come. So they just represent the whole people of God. So Jewish people and non-Jewish people, they're all there with Jesus. And what are they doing there? Well, they're actually singing a song. It's a new song. It's a song that other people don't know the words of, and you can't learn the words of unless you know you've taken the mark of a father. If you've taken the mark of a beast, you can't work out these words, you can't sing this song. It's a song of joy, of rejoicing, that in the midst of all their persecution, in the midst of the actions of a dragon and the beast of the sea and the beast of the earth, God is somehow looking after them. They're going through a lot, but somehow God is still with them and they are somehow safe eternally in him. And so they're rejoicing and singing to God. But it's not just their song that marks them out. It's actually also their lives that are marked out. Come with me to verse 5. It says this. So verse 4. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remained virgins. They follow the Lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. 
Now, when I first read this, I thought, well, wait a minute, does that mean that only single men are going to be in this 144,000 in this church? Well, of course not. Uh, it's, a, it's a picture here of these men who have not defiled themselves with women. Uh, but what does that mean? Well, does that mean there'll be no women there? Does that mean there'll be no fathers there even, right? Because if, you've had, if you're a father, obviously you've done things with women. So does that mean it's only single men? Well, no. As we look at this whole sentence, whole verse in five, we see that they're the ones who have kept themselves pure to follow Jesus. They're the ones who haven't lied. They're the ones who are blameless. So the picture is one of people who are actually following God and staying true to the Lamb and not taking on the mark of the beast on their foreheads or their hands. In the Old Testament, the picture is of God as a husband and of Israel as a wife. And sometimes the wife in the Old Testament is, uh, follows other gods, and so God is upset with that. In the New Testament, uh, the church is often called the Bride of Christ. And this particular group of 144,000 are the ones who are remaining pure to Christ. They don't take on the mark of the beast. They don't worship other gods. They stay close to God. They stay following Christ. That's what this picture is. And I was reflecting on myself this week, and I was thinking, that's what characterizes the people of God. First of all, their joy. I was thinking, am I, if I asked my wife, if I asked my friends, would they say Tom is characterized by his joy? In Colossians, we're told that as Christians, we actually overflow with joy. Uh, is what comes out of our mouths joy and praise to God, that we know that there's a God out there who made us, who holds us together, who loves us, and yet we've ignored, we've sinned against, and we deserve his wrath. And yet despite that, he still sent Jesus to love us and to die for us. And even now as Christians, God provides us things that we need. God still looks after us. And is, and is that being looked after by God like that, filling my heart, your hearts, with joy overflowing? Is our life a song of praise and thankfulness to God? Theirs was. But also the other thing is, it's not just their song which is lined up with God, it's also their lives as well. They don't, they're sexually pure. They don't use their mouths to lie, they're blameless. Now a lot of us, we come to church on a Sunday and we sing great songs, but I wonder what happens to us an hour after church is finished and we go home, or next day when we're at work, or at school, well not at school, it's school holidays now, right? or whatever you're going to do with your kids tomorrow. Does our life revert back to just following the world? Or is our life still following Jesus, still matching the song that we sang here on Sunday night? These people, they sang songs of thankfulness and they lived lives following the Lamb. Us, as their, and as, their, as their descendants, spiritual descendants, are our lives matched, our lives about singing this song of joy? And do our lives match the songs that we sing on Sunday? Well, the next thing that this passage goes on to is actually three angels come out and each proclaim a different thing. And in short, they proclaim that God is the winner and the world is fallen. Let's look at these angels each in turn. The first angel, it says this in verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. The first angel flies out, and he's screaming in the air, the gospel, the good news of God. And what is this good news of God? The good news is you should fear this God, because his judgment is coming. 
This passage is very heavy, isn't it? Fear this God because his judgment is coming. And why is that good news? Well, because when we look around the world and when they looked around in their world, they saw all of these injustices happening. People were persecuting them. People were killing their friends. There were, some of them became martyrs themselves. And they're wondering, where on earth is God? When is this judgment going to come? Are people going to get away with murder? The sort of things we saw from the video earlier on as well. And all the other injustices in the world. The good news is there is a God and he is powerful. So powerful that you need to fear him. You don't have to hedge your bets. Maybe God will win and that will be okay. But if Satan wins, then I'll be, I won't be okay. God will win. And he'll judge and he'll bring injustices to light. He'll bring, in, he'll bring justice to bear. So you can see this God. You can trust him. And you also what? This God is such a good God. Even though he's, he's scary, he also is the one who loves us and made us and created the world. And so we can love him. We can worship him. We can fear him because he is a good God. That is good news for us. Well, the second thing that comes out of this passage is the second angel flies. And the second angel followed and said... Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. Well, as we learned last week, Babylon is just a symbol for the world powers. Sort of like the the beast from the sea and its associated religion, the beast from the earth. Babylon is a symbol of the world without God. It can be doing horrible things. It can just just be existing without any reference to God. But even in existing, it's actually telling God, you don't matter. This is your world. You made it, but you don't matter. And this system of thinking, this system of government, will fall. Like Assyria before it, Babylon will fall. Like the Persians afterwards, and the, Ro- the Greeks, and the Romans. And then roll forward a few hundred years to the British Empire, to American power in the, 19, uh, the 19th, 20th century, and even the, the China century that's coming up. All of these earthly powers will fall. They won't last. So don't put your life into them. Don't bank your eternity on this world, because it will fall. Uh, many years ago, um, I think most of you know this, I was a management consultant. I was working for a group called PricewaterhouseCoopers. And we used to fly around a lot. And because we flew around a lot, we got a lot of points. And you know, we got all the status, the T credits, and, stand up, and you get all these freebies. You get to sit in a lounge. You get these upgrades. It was fantastic. And then I was at this top level. But unfortunately, PwC back in those days, uh, they chose to fly with ANSET. And as a result of flying with Anset, one night, overnight, bam, all my points were gone. I was reduced back to cattle class. It was just terrible. Um, and, it was just, and I was just thinking, fallen, fallen is Anset, the great. The, nothing on earth is, is permanent. It all will fall. T- today, we are people looking at the World Cup and saying, wow, the World Cup is so good. You know, all the nations playing soccer together, and they're all in goodwill. I don't know how much goodwill there is. There's a bit of pushing and shoving on the ground. There's a lot of diving, isn't there? Um, but anyway, if, if only we could have a system of government which is like based on football. Well, we, well, we kind of do. But the United Nations kind of is bringing the world together. But the United Nations as a system doesn't work, right? There's wars going on. There's famine. There's inequity. There's a whole bunch of things that even the United Nations, the mighty United Nations, can't do. This system too will fall because it's trying to do it without God. God will win, this world will fall. The systems of this world will fall. And then the third angel comes flying out. And the third angel says this, the third angel. Followed them and said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in its image and receives the mark on their foreheads or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur 
in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke from their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image, or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. Well, the third angel comes out and says, God will win, this world will fall, and if you follow this world, if you bank your life on this world, then you will quite literally go to hell. This is a very heavy part of the Bible. It's there. God means us for us to hear it, and so it's good for us to look at it. But the, the Bible gives us two broad pictures of hell. One is it's a cold and dark place where there'll be gnashing of teeth and there'll be crying and there'll just be regret. It's like um, some, if you can think about something that you really regret doing in your life, and you're saying, oh, I wish I could just roll back time and just go back then and just not said those things, not done that thing. Ugh. It'll be like that. That's one picture of hell. The other picture of hell is like this one. There'll be sulfur, there'll be burning, it'll be like the rubbish dump outside Jerusalem. There'll be physical pain. These are just pictures that the Bible is painting for us because the reality is hell's a lot worse than either of those. And as a result, the Bible just says, this is what you can understand, I'll let you know about those things. But whatever it is, don't go there. Jesus actually says, metaphorically, if you have to cut off your right hand, if you have to pull out your right eye, do it. Because better to enter heaven, maim and blind, than to go to hell fully bodied. It's a terrible place. Don't go there. Don't have any of your friends go there. It's very bad. And the, and the reason why he tells us this is because God then next speaks and God says these words. Verse 12. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor and their deeds will follow them. God says, understand this. I will win, the world will lose, and if you follow the world, you will quite literally go to hell. And so therefore, whatever they're doing to you right now, the persecution, the suffering, killing of your friends, even killing you, it will be time limited. After that will come eternity. The alternative is to spend the rest of eternity suffering this torment forever and ever. Jesus said as much when he was on earth, he said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot touch the soul. The body only lasts for a limited time. Remember the rope that we had a few weeks ago? But rather be afraid of the one, be afraid of God, who can actually destroy both soul and body in hell. Whatever you have to go through now is temporary. Persevere. Trust that God is with you and avoid the eternity of torment if you don't follow God. Very heavy, isn't it? Well, the next picture is one of the harvest, or actually one harvest, but shown in two different, um, two different forms. And that you'll find that in verses 14 through to 20. And the first part of the harvest is actually, you see a picture of one like the Son of Man, probably Jesus, and an angel comes out and says to Jesus, it's time to reap. And so Jesus goes down and he, he reaps the wheat harvest. The second picture we're given is of an angel from the altar inside the temple. And remember the, the altar a few weeks ago? It's a place where the martyrs actually scream out to God, God, when will you justify? When will you vindicate us? We've been killed for you. And God says, wait a little while. Well, now that angel comes out from the altar and he tells another angel, go to the vineyard and harvest that and bring all the grapes in and we're going to put them in the wine press and we're going to squash them. 
and the wine will flow out, the blood will flow out, all the way up to, to the height of a horse's bridle, which I'm guessing is like my neck almost, for 1,600 stadia. Now, what does that mean? No one's really sure, but um, most likely four corners of the earth, four winds of the earth, four, so times four, 16, which is, really means covers the whole earth, and just in case you're unsure, 1,600, <laughs> really, really covers the whole earth. There'll be judgment, there'll be reaping in the whole world. That's the picture we're given here. Now, sometimes when we hear this, we sort of think, oh, I don't really want to talk about hell because it's not very nice, it's not very polite. I prefer to think about a God of love uh, rather than a God of justice or wrath. But yet God himself wants us to hear that he's a God of love. That's absolutely true. But he's also a God of justice and wrath. And he puts it in the Bible for us, so it'd be very silly for us not to read it and be very silly, be very bad for me not to walk you through it as well. But you know what? It's not just God who says we need to hear about wrath and hell. It's actually a guy called Penn Jillette. Uh, Penn Jillette is a member of the Penn and Teller. They're magicians uh, in the States, and they've got a, they do a lot of shows all around, and, and most recently they've got a show called Fool Me, where some aspiring um, magicians try and do a trick that Penn and Teller can't work out how they did. Anyway, this guy is a devout atheist, right? He, he, doesn't, like, he doesn't believe in God, he doesn't like Christians in general. But there is a type of Christian he hates even more, and it's the type of Christian who doesn't talk about heaven and hell, who doesn't try to proselyte or evangelize or share with him the, the truth that they believe. Let's listen to what Pendulet says. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not, getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. Okay. An atheist, a person who doesn't like Christians, has just said, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize, not to tell them about heaven and hell? He said... If there's a truck bearing down on you and you don't believe it's coming, he's going to tell you. And at some point, he's going to tackle you. And did you hear what he said? And this is more important than that. This heaven and hell thing is more important than a truck bearing down on you. This is a non-Christian who gets it, who actually understands the gravity of the gospel. And he's saying, I despise Christians who don't tell me about heaven and hell. God wants us to know about heaven and hell. And even Pendulet wants to us to know about heaven and believes we should tell people about heaven and hell. Now, there's probably three kind of groups of people in this room tonight, and some of you are sitting here, they think, oh, gee, you know, that, that sounds a bit yucky. I come to church, I was expecting something nice, but, you know, I'm not quite comfortable with this sort of stuff. And if that's you, it's fantastic that you're here. Thank you so much for spending your Sunday evening with us. The good news, of course, is now you've heard about the truck coming, and actually, God says, now is the time I want to forgive people. I want to, people to love me and for me to love them and to enter into this good relationship with him. 
So the good news for you is you've seen the truck coming, you can now get out of the way. So if that's you, please talk to your friend, please talk to uh, somebody who runs a small group, or maybe Stu or myself, and talk about getting out of the way of this truck, and talk about starting a good relationship with God. Uh, there's another group of people here tonight, and you guys are sort of, we've sort of been at church for a while, maybe we've been here for four months, or four years, or 40 years even, some of us have been at some churches, and we sort of think, we know the church stuff, we just, we've done it, and you know, but deep down I kind of know that I don't have this relationship with God that it seems to be talked about all the time from the front and also from my friends and I'm just not quite sure well hopefully tonight is a time where you say wow that truck is coming I better do something about it and it might be very embarrassing but but don't worry just talk to your friend and just make it very personal and confidential I'm sure they won't share it with everyone but far better to be embarrassed now than to face that truck that wrath of God later so if that's you maybe tonight is the night you can actually say just confess or I've I've sort of been going to church, but I haven't really got a relationship with God. Help me fix that. And the good thing for you guys as well is God wants you to fix that. God wants to have that relationship with you, starting tonight even, since you already know so much about God. But there's a third group of us, and I suspect that's most of us. We actually are Christians. We actually have a fantastic relationship with God. It's not perfect by any chance, but it's there and it's real. And sometimes for us, we sort of think, well, I want to tell people about God and his love, and I want to invite them to church to meet other people, and that they can be loved even more, and that's where I want to stop, because I don't want to talk about this, this ugly stuff, this horrible stuff. Um, one of my friends, actually, he was sharing the gospel with one of his friends, and he sort of shared about God's love, and he shared about how loving the church community is, and at the end of all of that, his friend just said, well, that's really nice, but I've got a lot of friends, and I've got a lot of family who love me. Uh, I kind of don't really have time for another person to love me, even if it's God, and let alone a community of people at church who's going to love me. Yeah, and this guy thinks that because he hasn't heard the flip side, that he's actually offending God by not treating him as God, and there are consequences for that. And so if that's you, and it often is me, then the encouragement for tonight is, yes, continue to tell them about God's love, but also can start telling them in wise and humble and proper ways about God's judgment and God's wrath as well, because that is also equally true about God. Well, a long time ago, uh, there was an English pastor. His name is Charles Spurgeon, and he said these words, and it gives me a chill every time I read these words. But he says, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish... Let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled with the teeth, in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned or unprayed for. Let not one go unwarned or unprayed for. If you're a Christian, that is part of our task to warn them, to pray for them, to share with them the God of love and the God of justice. We've seen a lot tonight, haven't we? We've seen that there's a lamb, and in the midst of chaos, there's a lamb who's protecting his church, and they're worshipping him in song, and they're living lives which honour him. Will we be that church that but overflows with joy and matches our lives to our song? We've seen the three angels proclaim that there is a God who's going to win, the world is going to lose, and if you follow the world, there is judgment for you. Will we hold on? despite all situations, because whatever we face here is finite, and eternal comfort and eternal suffering is infinite. And will we be the ones who give our lives to God today 
and just be, and be in a good relationship with him. And if we already are, we'll be the ones who tell people about God's love and also God's justice. Amen.